First Person is produced in cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company, who rejoice in the stories of changed lives through the power of Jesus Christ. Learn more at febc.org. I was such a screw-up as a kid and as a young adult that when my kids messed up, I did not get upset about it. It was simply a learning lesson. Prepare the child for the road. Don't try to prepare the road for the child. You are about to hear an amazing life story on this edition of First Person. Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepherd, and our guest is businessman John Wheeland with lessons learned by weaving a life through family, faith, and business. Stay with us for the conversation. Each week we bring you another story of someone who has given their life to Christ and follows the Lord's leading for them. We try to cover many aspects of life and calling. Go back through our online archive of interviews and you'll no doubt learn that living life for Christ is the best approach you can possibly make. Listen to any past interview at firstpersoninterview.com. We now add John Wheeland to the list of people we get to meet. Long before he saw any success in business, he knew what it was like to fail and struggle with issues of faith and family. Now, through his business and generous giving practices, he has much to pass on to us from what the Lord has taught him. More about John's book, Uncommon Threads, later. He is the CEO of MH Equipment in Central Illinois and the president of the His First Foundation. I never believe that uh, there's uh, self-made men. There's always too many things outside your control. We don't you know, control interest rates or the economy or natural disasters. And so... Uh, the success of MH Equipment, um, it has, you know, as I reflect, it has been uh, just pretty astonishing. And uh, I don't have the skill set uh, to make that happen. And so over the years, God's been gracious and he's been merciful. And those who know me well, uh, they say uh, it's a little baffling. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. You accept that, huh? I accept that because... Uh, it's God's grace in our lives. I mean, all blessings come from heaven, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I kind of like that moniker. Okay. Well, let's explain who you are. We've got much to talk about here. You've written a book called Uncommon Threads, and we'll put a link to that in our program notes so listeners can read this outstanding book, Weaving a Life Through Family, Business, and Faith. But let's describe who you are. You are a businessman. You're a believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus, first of all. Yes. Uh, a family man. And a businessman, a successful businessman. You took a company that uh, started out uh, in the hole, so to speak, right? Yeah. It was a virtually bankrupt. Uh, I audited this company when I worked for a public accounting firm. And even back then, it was virtually bankrupt. And in 1994, uh, they finally made a decision to go a different direction. And I was 35 years old. I had no entrepreneurial experience. It's a, um, you know, we repair forklift trucks and material handling. I have no um, mechanical skills, but I was in the right place at the right time. God is sovereign, and uh, they said yes to my offer. And uh, in 1994, the economy turned, and during the next five years, it was really robust, and a good economy will cover a multitude of sins. <laughs> and so all the things that I was messing up, learning how to do things, the good economy helped me through that period. MH Equipment, and we could spend our whole time together talking about uh, the business and how God has blessed the business and 
and how you are using the profits of that business to uh, to help your community. And we can touch on those things, but I want to talk about you as a person, uh, as, as, as a guy who follows Christ. Tell me about growing up and uh, some of the difficulty that you faced uh, reconciling uh, all things Christian to your life. Yeah, I, we went to a, a small church in Jerseyville, Illinois. I was not a, a Christian at the time. I thought I was doing God the favor when I would go to church, and I uh, was pretty narcissistic growing up and uh, didn't pay much attention to uh, classwork and uh, I was very sexually active and uh, in the book I just talk about uh, when I was in high school uh, I got a girl pregnant and I share uh, that story from a look back from 40 years let me zero in on that for a moment because you write about that in your book. It's such a powerful uh, chapter that you write about because you, you talk about later in life adopting children. But there was this abortion in your background that you encouraged this young lady to get. Uh, tell me that story. So with the book, anytime somebody else was involved in the book, I would send them the content and make sure that they felt like it was being properly um, communicated. And so I sent this passage to the lady, and the original draft, I said, uh, all I remember is that I paid for the abortion. And that's what the book originally said, and it stopped. She responded very nicely, and she said, I had some different memories. And so I'm just going to read a little bit from the book. Now, this is 40 years plus probably after the abortion. Yes. What did she say back to you? She said this. She goes, yeah, this is my memory. I remember you telling me you had plans for college and that we were too young. I remember being at the abortion clinic, sitting on a beanbag chair, waiting for them to call my name. I remember the pain of the procedure. I remember sitting in a recliner after the procedure, feeling numb, feeling empty, feeling cold. I remember looking around and wondering what I had done and wondering if I'd go to hell for taking this child's life. I remember seeing you for the first time afterwards and feeling sad. I remember you going off to college that fall. Not a month goes by that I don't wonder what my child would have looked like, what my child would have become. I count that child as one of my own, my oldest. I had a ceremony for my child's death. I pray for my child's soul. Wow. Significantly different memories. Yeah, so when you received that back from her, uh, what did that prompt in your soul? Uh, Two thoughts. Um... I was such a jerk back then. I mean, I was so self-centered and the idea of of having uh, the baby and giving up for adoption wasn't even in my vernacular at the time. It was all what was the most convenient for me. And when I read that, I just sat in like silence for about 30 seconds. And I said, "That's that has to go in the book. I had people tell me that may be as strong of a pro-life 
statement without being a pro-life statement that mm-hmm. they had seen. And uh, uh, that that just brought back some, some memories in regards to uh, how God has been so gracious to me by, uh, you know, bringing people in my life to, to share the truth of the gospel. And uh, I will say that once I wrote that the book, uh, I had an interesting thing that happened about four months ago. And uh, the uh, one of my daughters, one of her best friends from college, called her and said, hey, uh, you know this guy I was dating? Uh, actually, we just got pregnant. And... I really don't want to marry the guy. And I had decided I wasn't going to have the baby. For some reason, I know it's God's providence, but for some reason, she said she picked up the book that my daughter gave her, which was this book. And she said, Jennifer, after I read that chapter, I decided I'm not having an abortion. And two weeks ago, I met her in Chicago, and we had dinner together, and she's five months pregnant, and that was just really sweet. I think I want what what I want people to know and understand, young people, that for a guy, abortion is just not paying for the abortion, and for the females, it's just not a procedure. That's right. It's just not a procedure. It's a very powerful part of your book, Uncommon Threads. I thank you for telling the story to us, and we pray that it will save even more lives. As people read this story, uh, John, it really is uh, so appropriate, but it had to be very difficult um, to, to tell this story as well, in a way. Or was it? Uh, well, not as hard as you would believe, because I, I do believe that uh, I was not a Christian. I was not in with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that was another person. Mm-hmm. What's difficult for me in the book is to uh, share things that I've messed up since I've been dwelt with the Holy Spirit. Well, this is the thing about your book. Uh, It's uh, uniquely vulnerable. I mean, you tell the good and the bad all at the same time, but there's always a lesson attached to it, isn't there? Well, that's my desire, is if I want uh, someone to look in their own mirror it's not very effective for me to act like I have my act together and you need to get your act together. Uh, we're broken people saved by grace. He knows that about me and he knows that about you. And when we're vulnerable and we're honest about things, it just creates freedom for the reader to say, hmm, I had, uh, back to the abortion, I had someone write me a, a letter and said, John, I read your book. I've carried a secret for 30 years. I was dating a girl in college. We got pregnant. We were both Christians. We got an abortion. We broke up a week after. I hadn't talked to her for 30 years. Your book gave me the courage to call Melanie. And we called, and we had an incredible conversation and reconciled that moment in our lives and so my goal is hopefully just movement in the life of the reader. Obviously, 
uh, the most would be from a spiritual standpoint, but also how to handle being a parent and, uh, you know, how to do business and things like that. We're talking with John Wheland, the author of Uncommon Threads. The conversation will continue in a moment on First Person. Here's Ed Cannon on the vision for FEBC's weekly podcast. The primary purpose of Until All Have Heard, of course, is to share the experience that FEBC has because we have staff on the ground in so many oppressive places. But in addition to that, we're trying to speak to you in a way that only the kind of testimonies you'll hear from around the globe can do. Discover how the gospel is making a difference around the world. Search for Until All Have Heard on your favorite podcast platform or hear it online at febc.org. My guest is John Whelan. John is the author of Uncommon Threads, Weaving a Life Through Family, Business, and Faith. You have these three sections to the book. We've touched on the family part. There's more to say, of course. Uh, And uh, we'll leave the business part to the reader because there are wonderful business lessons here that you have learned as a very successful businessman who wants to give back to your community. And I really uh, am, am grateful for how humble you are about that, John. But let's talk about the faith part of it. When did Christ become important in your life? You grew up in that church without being a Christian. When did Christ come into your life? Well, uh, back in the day, um, I actually was a black belt in karate. Uh, the key word was, okay, uh, if we'd ever get into a fight, uh, you'd probably need to protect your kneecaps. I think that's as high as I could kick right now. Okay, so... Uh, I was, no longer. The guy I worked out with all the time, he became a Jehovah Witness. And he was kind of obsessive compulsive. But he encouraged me to write, uh, to read this uh, scripture. And even though I'd gone to church all the time, I started reading uh, in Matthew to the Sermon on the Mount. And in a matter of, uh, uh, it was in Matthew 7. And, uh, you know, he said, uh Enter by the narrow gates, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, but the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And I was like, wait, many and few? And I was like, well, I go to church, so I think I'm part of the few. Uh, Unfortunately, five verses later, Jesus said, hey, by the way, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many, there's that word again, will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and do many mighty works in your name? Sound familiar? And then I will say to him, depart from me, you evildoers, I never knew you. And in a matter of one chapter of the Bible, I realized I was on the outside looking in. And so that's when I bowed the knee. I was a sophomore in college. And I got connected with a campus ministry called Navigators at the time, and that uh, was uh, very helpful for me. Yeah, big emphasis on scripture memorization. And yes, it is. Growing a discipleship through yes. Navigators, I'm sure. Okay. All right, let's talk about the family part of your story, which is a good part of this book as well. Your wife is Julie. Yes. And you have three adopted children? Four. Four adopted children. Three daughters children. and okay. one son. I missed one somewhere along the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about your family. Yeah, so uh, after, you know, uh, in the chapter, uh, I talk about, uh, I was told that uh, I'm probably going to struggle to have biological children. 
I had some issues, Julie had some issues, and the stars were going to have to be aligned correctly to have that done and, and you know, made that even more excruciating that I uh, killed the only biological child I was ever going to have. Mm. But, you know, God is rich in his mercy, and uh, uh, Julie uh, worked uh, for... Uh, DCFS, Department of Children and Family Services, and somebody was pregnant and thought uh, she wanted to give the baby to Julie. And we were all excited, and at the end of the day, the people that she was working with said, we don't know these people from Adam, and convinced her to go someplace else. And So you had the high and the low. Oh, you talk about, I mean, we may have been saying the right things about it not happening, but boy, our hearts were broken. Sure. It was less than two weeks later. Uh, my dad was a physician, and one of his friends was a obstetrician. And he called, said, "By the way, I just delivered a baby girl. Would you like her?" We picked her up in seventy-two hours. And when you know, we say, "Well, God can do anything." After we said that to people, and we didn't believe it, two weeks later, <laughs> he gave us a child. <laughs> and so our middle two daughters, uh, they were only three months apart. Uh, we adopted all four uh, uh, from birth. Wasn't that through the same doctor as well? Uh, three of the four. So we adopted uh, 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 Jessica, and then Jennifer uh, was from uh, someone from Peoria, and it was like one of those, a friend of a friend who knew somebody that wanted, to, well, that never works. It actually worked. And so we adopted Jennifer, but then three months later, that same doctor called and said, I have another baby for you. And I said, man, we're not worthy. And we just adopted a baby. And she, he goes, you know, I really don't care how many kids you have. <laughs> uh, I'm going to place this child with a family that will give her an opportunity to thrive. And this was the spiritual lesson. We so often want to limit God's blessings in our lives because we think there's a balance. And it's like, hold it. I wasn't worthy to have the first adoption. I wasn't. So if God wants to bless, we need to have our hands open and not feel like, well, if he's going to bless me here, I'm going to pay for it later. That's just, that's just ignorant theology. And so we actually almost grew up with twins. And then our last one uh, was a uh, boy uh, from the same doctor. And he's actually biracial. And uh, he has an interesting story in regards to when we adopted him, I was concerned about, well, what's it going to be like having biracial? Within a week, we realized that he did not have vision in his left eye. Hmm. He, had, he was blind in his left eye. And then we thought about that. Three months later, he's struggling with asthma terribly. There's nights that we were just praying that he could breathe, that he wouldn't die. And so I went from how important is the skull of a person's skin that went out the window, uh, not having vision in his left eye, that went out the window and really put things in perspective. 
And uh, how old is that boy today? He is 25, and he was an all-state soccer player. Oh, he was a point guard for a, a team that was number one in small schools uh, in the state of Illinois. I we always told him, Josiah, not having vision in one eye is a little thing. Not having vision in both eyes is a big thing. Hmm. Thank God that you have a little thing to deal with. Right. And if you saw him play sports, and I told you he didn't have vision in his eye. In one eye, you would call me a liar. Nobody can tell. No, it's just interesting. Wow. So being a dad, and you've been blessed, your family's been so blessed. What What is the message of your book about the, the family part of what you write about? What's How would you summarize the lesson to be learned here? Well, one of the lessons I, I learned is to make sure that uh, your kids don't feel uh, economically entitled. I actually asked my kids about uh, a year ago, tell me some life lessons that you learned from your dad. And uh, that was interesting because I heard things like, uh, be nice to everybody, uh, especially those who are struggling in life. Uh, don't, don't feel like you're entitled. When, one of the things that was helpful for me is I was such a screw-up as a kid and as a young adult that when my kids messed up, I did not get upset about it. It was simply a learning lesson. And I will say that uh, uh, probably the biggest life lesson is prepare the child for the road. Don't try to prepare the road for the child. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing that I did wrong is with girls and being the dad, you don't like to see your daughter cry. And so if they were crying, you'd always want to fix it. Well, sometimes... Staying at home on a Friday night and crying builds character. And you want to be more concerned about the character growth as opposed to happiness. Because happiness is an event. Actually, happiness comes from happenings. And so I would say that is uh be more interested in the character of the child instead of their happiness. And then also understand that when they mess up, uh, like we mess up to our Heavenly Fathers, uh, He instructs us and disciplines us for our good, not punitive, not because He hates us. And so when we discipline our kids, we need to discipline them for their benefit and not for our release of anger or things like that. Weaving a Life Through Family, Business, and Faith. We met John Wheeland on this edition of First Person, the author of Uncommon Threads. There's so much more in this book that we didn't talk about today, including a large section on biblical principles that guide John in business and being generous with his company's profits. Look for a link to Uncommon Threads at firstpersoninterview.com. As always, I want to thank our friends at the Far East Broadcasting Company for making these interviews possible. FEBC is a leader in taking Christ to the world through radio and new forms of media. Learn how they're doing that in many difficult places of the world, reaching the unreached, when you visit febc.org. And join Ed Cannon of FEBC for the podcast, Until All Have Heard. There's much to learn when you visit the website, febc.org. And to leave a comment on what you've heard today or any program in our archive, go online to Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. We welcome your feedback. Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, 
I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time for First Person. <laughs>